Welcome back to Cyber Prophets, the place where we prophesize the future of technology. A place that, as you know, is a podcast for you and only for you. Every week, we interview someone that can give you some insight about how the future will look like. And this time, we're bringing you Philip Suri, an expert in 3D printing. You might be thinking, what is 3D printing? Just a short reminder, they can print things like that in 3D. It can be plastic, it can be maybe a skull, something that comes to your mind. In our times, this is something very impactful and very important. He is working for John Deere, and he can tell us more about this important area. Today, tonight, Edgar is working with me as the co-host. Maybe he can give some extra words. Hello, everyone. We are very glad to be here once again with you. And today we're going to talk about this interesting topic, 3D, which we think that will have a big impact in the future. And what can I tell you? Philip is an expert in this area. 3D printing is something important, but he's going to focus on one important area that is sometimes not think so much, that is industrial 3D printing. But maybe Philip can tell us some words about himself and how he got started in this very innovative area. Hello. Um... First, thank you for inviting me to speak uh, to you and the audience about 3D printing. I'm very excited to be here. It's the first time I'm speaking on a podcast, so um, I hope I do well. Um, so I'm 20 years old, as you already uh, mentioned. I'm working for um, John Deere. Um, I'm living in Germany, in the southwest of Germany. Um, and originally, I studied materials engineering in the west of uh, Germany. And yeah, since my master program, I'm yeah, I've been working on additive manufacturing or 3D printing. Um, I was a research assistant. I was a researcher at the University of Hamburg. Um, worked there on additive manufacturing, 3D printing. And since 2018, I'm working for John Deere. Uh, John Deere is uh, agriculture machinery uh, manufacturer, and there I'm also working in the area of 3D printing. Amazing, Philip. We are very glad that you accepted the invitation to our podcast. And you mentioned about about that you studied materials engineering. Uh, what what is that exactly? Um, in my studies, I um, learned about different materials, um, about their properties, about their characteristics, um, how to manufacture them, how to use them, and how to uh, describe them, like describe the properties. And, and um, in that studies, like you learn about casting, you learn about forging, you learn about all those different manufacturing processes and the different materials yes. you can work and in one of them I learned also was 3D printing. Oh yeah, so um, you think that it has helped you in your current job like as 3D printer? Uh, yes, yes definitely. Um, it was the the first area where I got introduced to 3D printing. Um, <laughs> I as a uh, research assistant, as a student, my job was to describe, like I basically pulled them apart and measured how strong the materials are. We, we uh, Somebody else 3D printed. And then starting mm -hmm. from there, I continued, like do, did my master thesis in the area of metal um, 3D printing. And then from there, I just continued because it helped me to understand the influence of the process, the manufacturing process, 
um, and yes. the material properties. So I could describe those. Perfect. And in these days, are you more involved in the designing part or operating the hardware or another area of 3D printing? Because there are multiple areas, I guess. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, as a student, as I, I mentioned, I actually operated uh, hardware and machines. Um, but honestly, it has been a long time. I operated some machine. Um, in my current job um, at John Deere, I'm more of, I would say, a technology scout. Um, that is how I started. So I'm looking for new technologies, new processes. I um, evaluate them, see if they have worth for our company, how we can use them. Um, yes. Then I'm um, looking for new applications, um, trying to improve our internal processes. Um, so I'm more of a, I would call myself a technical consultant for the company to um, to explain my colleagues and everybody else, um, yeah, what is 3D printing um, and how can we use it. So you're more like the innovator within the company. Um, yes, yes, uh, you could say that. Um, trying to keep the eyes open for new things um, that we can use. Um, yes. And yeah, try to help people to, to adapt those and, and yeah, make the best of the, the opportunities we have. Very nice, and, very nice. And can you tell me please, uh, Philip, what, what kind of applications does 3D printing have at an industrial level? Because we know like, mm -hmm. as Federico mentioned, we know like at a basic level, what can we print? Something personal, let's say, but at an industrial level, what are the possible application? So the um, main groups, I would say, for, for applications of industrial 3D printing are rapid prototyping, rapid tooling, and rapid manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So what I work in a lot is rapid prototyping that we use in our development. Um, the idea is there that you can very easily and uh, quickly get first physical parts of, of the things you design, you want to create uh, very fast and most of the times cheaper than you would do it in other ways. Um, rapid tooling would be that you produce the, the um, tools for some other processes like a forming tool, a casting, or some, some other um, tools you might need for manufacturing. Um, and the third one, manufacturing, is that you 3D print the, the parts directly and, for example, sell them to a customer or, or something like that. Um, and all of those you, you have in the beginning, the rapid. So it, it's uh, the idea is that you can do it faster than with other um, technologies. Mm -hmm. um, and that is because you don't need the tools. So 3D printing is one of the main characteristics is that you can manufacture something um, without the need of tools for manufacturing those. You can directly print it in a machine. With one machine, you can print different geometries. That makes it much faster because, for example, for a casting or for some other things, you have to take like weeks and weeks and sometimes even months until you get the tool and then you can start manufacturing something. With 3D printing, we can di directly start. And for example, what kind of limitations have you noticed right now with the current 3D printed technologies? 
Um, so in, in an industrial area, of course, one of the biggest limitations is cost. Um, mm -hmm. 3D printing, depending on um, which process directly we're talking about, um, the, the cost is still considerably high. Um, the machines are expensive, the materials are expensive, it's um, taking quite a long time to print something, which might sound paradox because I said before it's rapid prototyping. Um, but yeah, like I said, um, it's rapid because we don't need the tool, but it's in in itself, it's it's a slow process um, compared to others. Mm -hmm. um, that would be one of the biggest limitations, I would say. Um, the other thing is size. Um, we're still mm -hmm. limited in the size. Um, on the one hand, in the very big things, but also on the other hand, in the very small things. Um, mm -hmm. So there is some area where we can size-wise, like let's say like around like 30 centimeters, something like that, that is very nicely and doable. Very small things get very hard to 3D print because of the um, accuracy of the machines and very big ones is also just very, very hard to do. And another thing where we have limitations are materials. Um, there are quite a lot of materials that we can 3D print, but compared to other industrial manufacturing processes, it's um, yeah, very, very little, um, let's say, in in choice. Like, there's, like, there's steels, there's aluminiums, there's plastics, but yes. only, let's say, a limited amount of, of possibilities uh, that we have there. Um, and regarding the size, what is the biggest thing that can be printed? Um, so, there has been... 3D printing, for example, of a pedestrian bridge in Amsterdam, um, uh -huh. which is several mm -hmm. meters wide out of steel. Um, then there has been a motorboat, for example, that has been printed wow. out of plastic. Um, and there's even houses that have been printed. So, even houses? Um, in, so we can go up to meters and, and, and all the diameters. Um, yes. But um, like I said, that is only for specific processes. So something mm -hmm. I want to explain is that when we talk about 3D printing or additive manufacturing, those yes. can be used as the same thing, basically, just different names for, for the same thing, basically. Um, mm -hmm. It is basically a, a group or a um, category of manufacturing technology. So there is not just one 3D printing process. There is very, very many of them. Um, what uh, they all have in common is that we are creating objects based on a digital 3D model, like I explained, without the need of tools. And this yes. normally happens uh, layer upon layer. So one after another. Um, and you can create objects like that. Um, and how we create those layers and how we join those layers and what those layers are made of, this, this can be very, very different. Uh, currently, there is, I would say, five or six major groups of, of ways to do that. We have material extrusion, we have um, powder uh, fusion, we have photopolymerization, like a very, very different areas where we, or, or ways to, to join those materials together. Um, and then within those, there's even more possibilities. So I would say there's about 15, 16 different technologies out there. Wow. Uh, and each of them have limitations considering cost, material, size, and so on. So it's it's um, a very diverse and very dynamic area as well. 
And what is the mm. technology that you are most used to? Um, I'm mostly working with, um, currently mostly working with um, polymer-based processes. Um, oh. So we call it FDM, Fused Deposition Modeling. Um, this is also the technology that most people would know from their home printers or home 3D printers. Mm. Um, that is what you can also get for your home. Um, but in an industrial scale, those machines are just bigger and, and let's say more sophisticated a okay. little bit more robust and, and um, more accurate in what they do. Um, that is something I work with almost every day. Um, and and then some other technologies. I wrote my master thesis in metal 3D printing, where we use um, wow. um, uh, powder as a basic material and melted with a laser. That is okay. something I worked a long time, um, I would say, three years as a scientist. Um, so this is the, those two things, I would say, those are my, like the ones I'm most common or, or familiar with, but it's part of my job, job to know all of those, let's say 15 different uh, technologies. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm wondering about something because based on everything that you said, I'm how upgradable are the 3D printers? Maybe the, let's say, the smaller scale might not be so much, but in the industrial 3D printers, for example, what if you get a new additive? Can you modify the 3D printer or do you need to buy a new one that includes the new additive to the product? Mm -hmm. um, most of them are pretty much, um, up I wouldn't say upgradable, but you can process a lot of different things with them. Um, so with one FDM printer, you can kind of, uh, produce or, or work with a lot of different polymers and, and materials. Um, there are some limitations where you have like uh, temperatures you need because most of the times we're melting the material in order to join it. Um, so there's some limitations. Um, in the industrial scale, it's not so common to upgrade them let's say, like the manufacturers, they offer some upgrades where you can add another feature maybe to, to achieve some, some new things you can do. Um, but there, it's not as common as, for example, in the private sector where, we, where you basically can 3D print the parts for your own printer and, and advance it with that. We don't do that that much in industrial size just because it's part of the, let's say, liability, of course, for the machines and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but, for example, a change between polymer and metals is not possible, um, oh, just because okay. they're so fundamental different. Um, just to give you an explanation, um, the one of the lower melting al um, materials we have is aluminium, which yes. melts around 660 degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. um, so in order to process that, I need a machine that can achieve that temperature. A plastic polymer 3D printer, we normally end at like 200, 300 degrees Celsius. So okay. there's this big gap that we, we cannot melt. Like even if I put the material inside my polymer printer, nothing will happen with it because the temperature is just so far off. And that is for aluminum, which is one of the lower melting alloys. If we go to steel and more high performance alloys and, and materials, we're like in the thousand 
like thousand degrees Celsius. Oh yeah. That's so nice. we're gonna change between metal and polymer mm-hmm. as we please. But within like within the polymer or within the metal, we you can change a lot. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. And now that we are like very specific about the process of fusing and melting, can you tell us specifically what is the process utilize utilized to create a three D printing? Let's say like from the conception of the idea until you have like the final tangible mm-hmm. product. Yeah. So um, we normally separate it in, in three steps. Uh, we call it pre-processing, okay. the process itself, and post-processing. So pre-processing okay. would be what you just, just said, like the, the concept or the idea of the thing you want to create. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to design something. Um, and in 3D printing, we always start with a digital 3D model. So you have to use, for example, um, yeah, no, not for example, you definitely have to use a, a CAD, a computer-aided uh, design program, to create the model in a digital space, just to mm-hmm. have the form. You create the geometry of this, whatever it is. Let's say bottle, uh, a bracket, or I don't know, can be anything. Um, and as soon as you have that geometry in the digital space, you can mm-hmm. use this information, this digital information, to create the machine code. So you you use another software, most of the time it's another code. software, that yeah. you tell the machine what to do. Like the, the machine, the 3D printer has to know what it's supposed to do. And one of the very important things is that it slices the geometry in layers. So if you have a a three-dimensional object, it slices it in two-dimensional objects. And in each layer, in each slice, again, the the software the, um, creates a code that tells the machine what to do. And okay. if you stack those informations on top of each other, the machine will create layer by layer the um, the object. So this is still like the pre-processing, creating this information for the machine. As soon as you have that in the software, you send it over to the machine that can be actually remote controlled. Like sometimes I'm starting a print when I'm not even in office. So and from home oh, office, nice. it's possible too. <laughs> um, so you send this information to the printer. Uh, of course, it has to be in a, let's say, standby modus where it has the material already loaded and has to be in a functional uh, operation mode. But as mm-hmm. soon as it gets the information, it will start processing. Then you have this layer on layer creation. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, with the FDM, fused deposition modeling, which you might know from home, is the, the printhead moves around in a layer, then it goes down a layer, and then it moves again, printing down the material. Mm-hmm. In other processes, it might be spreading a layer of powder and then melting this powder with a laser. Um, oh, wow. Or others could be um, dipping... A platform into a liquid polymer and then again having a laser or light curing this material that it comes hard so there's a very different things how this process can happen and yeah. then when this is done you take the part out of the printer some of the times you have to do some post-processing that means you have to um, clean it you have to remove mm. some support structures you need for printing um, or even just to finish it, let's say, paint it, coat it, or do something else, and that is what we call post-processing. So it is creating the design, pre-processing, 
creating the information for the machine, then the mm -hmm. machine does its thing, creating those layers um, on top of each other. And at the end, you just finish it with some, let's say, conventional or traditional manufacturing processes. Okay. Uh, what kind of techniques do you know that are available in the market? Do you know that? Well, I'm guessing that there are some that are more efficient and other that are less efficient, but mm -hmm. in everything there is a pros and a cons. Yeah. Um, so I've I've already mentioned some technologies mm -hmm. there. Um, the fused yes. deposition, which you know from mm -hmm. home. Then um, one that is called selective laser sintering, which is for polymers. Um, mm -hmm. where we use uh, polymer powder that is spread in a layer and a laser melting it. Mm -hmm. um, you have this process for also um, metals, uh, where we call it selective laser melting, for example, where we use also a powder metal, uh, 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 yeah, powdered metal that is uh, melted by a laser. Um, I would say those are very um, common um, technologies. Um, there is um, another group which we call direct energy deposition, where the powder or the material is not in a layer, but it's, um, let's say, we have a nozzle that sh basically shoots the, the material into a laser or another heat source and melt it, melts it there wow. um, to create the uh, geometry. And one of the newer technologies that was invented or introduced, let's say, on an industrial scale from HP. It's called multi-jet fusion. Um, it also works with the powder, um, uh, polymer powder, um, which is melted uh, in the process as well. So those are, I would say, some of them. But like I said, there's, there's a lot of them, and I probably missed some of them that right now uh, out of the top of my head. But yeah, I would say those are some of them. Well. I have a follow-up question. When you mentioned powder, like what 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 is this powder made of? Is it plastic? Is it uh, metal? Or what what is it exactly? Um. So the the powder can be a plastic polymer. Okay. Uh, plastic, okay. but it also can be metal. Uh, that is both possible. We can process those, and the, those metals are very very fine, right? They're the the each individual particle is about thirty micron meters. Mm -hmm. oh. large in diameter um, so there's very very fine powders um, you have to take a lot of care that you don't inhale those because uh, it's a health risk oh. so people working okay. on that is in a controlled environment or with masks and stuff like that um, because the materials are very very light for example for polymers if you have so small things they just go into the air yeah yeah so we have to take care of those and metals. You have to take care that they don't, inf like they they don't, they can explode uh, in some of cases. Wow. Um, so there is some some health and and oh uh, uh, secure uh, safety issues, but those are under control. There are systems and and procedures and processes to to deal with those. As as long as you know what you're dealing with, it's very yes. easy to to yeah avoid the risks. Um, but yeah, those are powders that are being used. Um, like I said, polymer or metal can be both. Okay, yeah, and, and another follow-up question. Well, since it looks like it can be like a dangerous job, and I, I didn't think about it before. I thought that it, it was like just modeling and then sending it to the printer. I never thought that it could be 
it could represent a, a, a health risk. So I would like to ask you what kind of measures are being followed in order to minimize these risks? Um, yeah, I mean, if you're the designer, it's very, like, there's no risk. But as soon as oh, you yeah. have to <laughs> go to the machine and, and work with the machine, operate the yes. machines, there are some risks. Um, I mean, of course, there is like the general safety culture that you have everywhere in an in industrial space where you manufacture. So um, protection uh, um, clothes, uh, personal pr uh, protection equipment. Mm -hmm. um, then, yeah. like I said, the, the, whole, the all the powder handling is tried to be minimized. Um, like so the contact you might have as a, as a person with the powder is minimized as much as possible. So there's a lot of automation going on, for example, sieving and recycling the powder that nowadays happens all automatically within the machine. Mm -hmm. um, then as soon as we get in direct contact with the powder, we're using uh, breathing masks to be sure that we don't breathe in those. Those are special masks for this um, purposes, a little bit similar to the um, COVID-19 masks we, we all get to oh, know yeah. now but they're industrial grade, so they're a little bit better or, or finer meshes even, I would say. Oh, no. um, and um, then we have controlled environments. That means the, the air, there's a, a constant um, air circulation. So yes. that even if there is powder being em emitted to the, the environment where the people work, this air is pumped out every... Now, like I don't know the exact numbers, but uh, very, very fa uh, often okay. within in an hour, we exchange the whole atmosphere, let's say, in a room, just to be sure that there is nothing. There's filters everywhere, so we make sure that the contact with the powder is as um, small as possible. Nice. And I'm wondering, do you know how do they produce those powders? Because I, I know I'm like so concerned. <laughs> Because it seems like even that part will be dangerous. Yes. Um, yeah, there is uh, special industries for making the powders. Um, working with powders is nothing completely new and nothing specific, specific for 3D printing. There is um, a whole industry which is called powder metallurgy, um, oh, which wow. uses powders... In, in numbers and amounts where additive manufacturing or 3D printing is just a very, very small percentage. So it is nothing very new. There is a lot of knowledge and, and um, um, experience with it already there. Um, there is some differences, like very, very detailed. If you look very close, there are some differences. But generally speaking, processing, producing, and working with powders is for for industrial uh, scale it's it's um nothing very new or or uncommon of course there has been a learning learning curve uh, i've been part mm -hmm. of that learning curve myself like when i started in i would say 2015 with additive manufacturing there was still a lot of question marks on how to work with those things and and to take care yeah. and stuff like that there was a lot of development but right now um there is um, yeah, a lot of information there and out there, um, and we can use it. But, for example, what I, I, I would not recommend to have a powder-based 3D printer at home. I, I wouldn't recommend mm. that. Um, I know that there are some companies who sell it, but I wouldn't recommend it um, to do that. Um, stick with the things that you 
filaments or liquids and stuff like that. Those are very like, much safer to operate um, as soon as you handle powders. Yeah, there are some things you have to take care of. That's a very, very great recommendation. And I'm pretty sure that our audience will appreciate it <laughs> not to get a powder through the printer for their homes. And you mentioned, Philip, and you kind of introduced it in a previous question, the concept of additive, additive manufacturing. Is that exactly the same as 3D printing or is there any difference? Um, there, it, it is almost the same, yes. It's, it's almost the same synonym. Um, it's more, uh, I would separate it between 3D printing is more like a common name that has been used a lot in, in a private sector. Yes. And additive manufacturing was introduced uh, when, when the technology was moved or pushed to a uh, um, more industrial scale and also with mm -hmm. the intention to actually manufacture parts. Like the 3D printing or, or those concepts, they're out there for a long time. Like the first ideas and patents for 3D printing are, I think, from the 80s or something like yes. that. Um, but um, they, in this time, it was strictly for prototyping. They didn't use it for anything else. It was only to do prototypes, to do mock-ups and, and nothing else. But with time, the processes and the technologies, they matured and got more and more reliable. Um, and then people started, hey, why, why don't I just manufacture things like for, for my customers directly? Yeah. And then more and more additive manufacturing was introduced as a, as a word or, or a, a, oh, a concept. But it's basically the same as 3D printing. Um, it, it's just the, this idea of creating objects layer on layer out of a digital model. Um, so, yeah, it's. I would say it's it's the same. More, it. it's a little bit more who uses the words. Mm -hmm. And 3D printing is much easier to say than additive manufacturing. Um, so, <laughs> I, I most of the time stick with 3D printing as well. It's just easier to articulate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for example, in the case of Edgar and I, we started AutoCAD when we were, let's say, in high school. What kind of software do you do you use or the people working in the 3D printed sector use more often? Um, so yeah, um, there's the, the, I would say, big major CAD um, software manufacturers or providers, mm -hmm. you have your um, SolidWorks, you have your um, Autodesk Fusion, you have your um, Katia or Creo, those, those are like all just names of, of software uh, packages you can use. Um, I, I hope I didn't forget anyone um, important here. Um, and Almost all of them um, nowadays also have some sort of additive manufacturing, 3D printing um, oh, cool. features. Um, some of them already come with some drivers for your for the 3D printers. Um, some some nice features or algorithms you can use, um, but it's still um, an area where there's a lot of development. A lot of things happen there. There's a lot of different software providers. Um, and, and ideas um, 
that are out there because um, the the beauty of of the 3D printing is that you don't have many manufacturing restrictions. You can have you have a very big uh, geometry freedom and and what you want to design. If you mm. like, if you if we're talking about let's say conventional manufacturing processes, you always have to have in mind, okay, I still have to somehow create a form out of it, a tool, or there's a lot of limitations, what you can and what you can't do. Um, With 3D printing, additive manufacturing, there's still limitations. There's not none, but it's much, much less. You can do much more cool things. And one of the things that we do is that we use it for um uh bionic designs as well so advanced designs and forms of geometry that you cannot produce in other ways in other manufacturing processes and those um those can be created by it's so-called topology optimization so you um basically define the the problem um it's mostly used for, let's say, structural, like mechanical problems, um, where you say, okay, I have the design space, I want the part to fit in this area, and I have a force here, and I have a force here, and I have something else, like a restriction here. And then you let the algorithm figure out what is the best geometry to do that, what is the best topology for this part to do. Mm. At the end, you get a more or less usable geometry. It depends on what kind of software you use. Um, you have to fix it a little bit and, and adjust it, but you can actually take this geometry and, and print it. Yes. Some years ago, you would take it and say, okay, how do I figure out, like, how do I make this now into a manufacturing design? What do I have to like, take away? What do I have to add in order to make it manufacturing? And nowadays, with 3D printing, you can basically take it directly and print it. Like I said, in detail, there are some minor things you have to do. It's not that easy, but it's much easier than it used to be. Yes. So, yeah, that's true. That is, it's way easier than it used to be, and that it actually saves you a lot of time, maybe uh, even money, and like you don't need to invest in the tools as well, as exactly. you mentioned before. However, uh, we have noticed that the 3D printing process is generally very slow and that even for printing like something very small, it can take up to several hours. So I would like to know, Philip, is it because of the a hardware limitation or is it because the software is not that fast? Well, what is needed to improve the performance of these machines? Um, it doesn't have something to do with software that is not a part of the uh, issue the here um one issue is that we have um some physical limitations um for mm-hmm. example if we talk about a fdm printer which a lot of people might relate you you have a a, a nozzle a, a head that moves around in in xy uh, and it, you have um in order to be very precise, like you want your parts, your, your objects to be precise. If it, if I yeah. say it has to be 20 millimeters long, then you want it to be 20 millimeters long. Exactly. The thing is, if you move something very fast and ha- it has to stop at a specific point, you cannot, like you have to have a very, very 
um, sophisticated mechanical system to make it stop at this specific point. Um, yeah. It is possible to do that very fast, um, but that is not the only thing you have doing, going on at that moment, that you have a mass that you accelerate and then you have to stop it, so negative acceleration. Um, mm -hmm. That is one, one challenge. But then, in addition, you have hot plastic coming out of this thing at the same time that has to solidify also. So you have to cool it. Yeah. Like you first have to heat it, then you have to cool it so it solidifies at the right moment, at the right position. Wow. And this and this is one of the, let's say, more, more easy uh, um, systems there is. Um, there, it, and if you imagine you have a powder where you shoot a laser into it, that moves with several thousand millimeters per second, um, it gets more and more complicated. Um, so we have this physical barrier that we, most of the times we melt or, or like we have this physical process of fusion, of binding the materials together, and that just takes time. Um, you can speed it up, but there's still some limitation. Um, so... Mm -hmm. The other thing is that we, from just the idea, is that we do it layer by layer. Like in uh, injection molding for plastics, for example, we also melt the plastic and it solidifies in the form. But yeah. the whole part at, at one time does it. But now with additive manufacturing, we do it layer by layer. So it, we just need more time because each layer has to be heated up and mm -hmm. each layer has to cool down. We're not doing it at the same time. Um, so there's some limitations that we we can we cannot take away. But saying that we're not at the end yet, like we're not there yet. Like those limitations, we we still have some room to to grow and to speed it up. Um, one example is that we not only use one laser that works on the same time, but we use multiple lasers that work on the same time. So like that, I can easily double or triple or whatever increase the speed just some mm -hmm. months ago a company introduced a system with 12 lasers that work at the same time wow um and you can do the same with the printing hats or something else so there's still a lot of room to grow and it actually happens so the this whole area of, of industrial uh, 3d printing i would say every year there's a new technology that pushes the boundaries even more. It's very, very dynamic and it's very hard to keep track of because there is so much new things going on. And one of the major things is to increase the speed of the production because that's what it's all about at the end. The faster we are, the less the, uh, the parts will cost and the, yeah, the better. But of course, we also need to do that taking in consideration that I just don't, yeah, if it's 20 millimeters long, I want it to be 20 millimeters long, not 20 one twenty-two. It has yeah. to be twenty. So that is that is the challenge. But a lot of bright people working on that. Luckily. Yeah, it sounds something very interesting. In my case, recently I was reading about something called forty printing, but I have I didn't understand very well. Do you know something about this new area, or let's say the next boundary in three D printing? Um. I know a little bit about it. Um, as you said, uh, it is the next boundary, I would say. The, the 4D means that we add another dimension, so three-dimension, right, X, Y, Z, all the dimensions and space. Uh, 4D would be to add 
a fourth dimension which, which would be time. So the idea behind the 4D printing is that we produce materials and, and objects that change their property within time. Um, and that gives us another dimension and freedom and to do things. So let's say you would 3D print a geometry in the printer yes. and then you put it into its um, yeah, environment where it has to operate, where it has to function. Um, and there, based on, let's say, the temperature, the pressure, the humidity, or some some kind of property, this optic changes because we submit it to this area, or just because of time, it changes. Mm-hmm. Um, so 40, 40 printing is basically combining two, two areas of research and, and, and um, development, which is 3D printing and smart materials. And those are being combined to 4D printing. Um, but it's still very, very early. Um, I'm not aware of any industrial application of that yet. Ah, okay, okay, okay. So, yeah, I was about to ask you the very same thing, that if you, if you knew about any applications, because it sounds something very... I don't know, I, I cannot come up with something that it can be used for in real life. Right now. Um, one one possible application, um, as so often in 3D printing, comes from the medical area. Um, mm-hmm. um, one area where we already use some kind of smart um, um, material is stents. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of stents. Um, it is uh, for um, heart diseases um, where you introduce, uh, let's say, wire that into your arteries or your, your um, okay. I'm not a medical expert, but it's, I don't know if it's arteries or I just get a thumbs up that's arteries. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Into your arteries um, and there the stand expands in order to keep it open. So the blood flow is, ah, is guaranteed. Okay, yeah. That is what happens if you get a, a, a heart disease or something like that, your arteries um, close and, and you need to keep them open again. Yes. So what is done there already now is that you have a material that is very small, like it's folded together, this, this stand uh, mm-hmm. made of wire, and you implant it into your body, and there it expands because it's much easier to implement something small into your system, and there then it expands. Yes. And currently those things, uh, those stands are manufactured with yeah, traditional manufacturing uh, processes, but one idea might be that we use 3D printing to do it, to come up with better geometries, for example. Mm-hmm. Other things might be in, I don't know, space applications where we wanted to, um, where we have issues with very harsh environments where you basically, mm-hmm. for example, cannot use electric uh, conduct, um, circuits or something like that, and you need an actuator that like a thing that moves and, and changes something. Mm-hmm. And, um, you could use smart uh, materials for that. Um, and yeah, there's some mm-hmm. high-tech applications um, possible. Um, but like I said, it's still, still there's something in the future where we, yes. there's a lot of research necessary. Yeah. And I'm wondering about, let's say, still about this topic. 
Do you think that, because as you said, harsh environments, do you think that we could use, say, maybe in 10, 15 years, the 4D printing to build some parts that can be sent to Mars or how to adapt to that very harsh environment? Because people mm -hmm. try to colonize yeah. Mars and, well, we have nothing there to test. Um, yeah, that might be one one yeah one possible application um, for the 4D printing, um, but also for, let's say, uh, 3D printing um, and um, like one idea there is I'm, I'm aware of is that for example um, when you do want to do something like yeah space exploration or, or colonizing Mars or something like that you have to shoot stuff up into yeah space um, mm -hmm. <laughs> and in order to do that um, like the lightweight design is very very important in that area in that space because every gram, every kilogram you, you shoot up, you need fuel to shoot it up, and it's very expensive to do so. Um, yeah. The funny thing is that most of the things that we have, for example, in, on, on space stations or something like that, are over-engineered. They're way too heavy. They're way too big because they have to withstand yeah. the, the launch of the, yeah. into space. Then in space, there's not much mecha uh, mechanical um, loads that, that have those things, right? They, they're in uh, zero gravity um, environment. So um, one idea is that we only shoot up the material into space and 3D print it in space. Hmm. Like that, we can actually design and manufacture the things for the requirements they have. Right now, most of them are just over-engineered because they have to withstand the high acceleration forces during the launch yes after that they don't have that many or, or big mechanical things uh, or, or mecha uh, mechanical loads anymore um so yeah that is that's something um i know nasa uh, nasa is, is working on um i th think there is already 3d printers in the iss i have to oh, think nice. about that um there has been developments to do that, to investigate it. I don't know if they have been deployed yet. Um, okay. But this is definitely something that is out there and coming. And, yeah, I mean, 3D printing is already used in, let's say, everything else about space exploration. Like, there is 3D printed parts in engines. There is 3D in, uh, printed parts in the... Um, structural um, components of a rocket, so there's um, lots of applications there. I can see that we went a little bit further into the interview and we're already talking about the future, <laughs> but I would like to come back to the present yeah, sure. and talk about what you mentioned, that nowadays, even nowadays, 3D printing is being used in several industries. Yes. And there are also some people that already have one their own 3D printer at home. But there's one special industry that I would like to discuss with you, Philip. That is the weapons industry. This is a very controversial topic because if you have one at home and you have the ability to create a design, then that means that you could actually print your own, your own weapons, your own pistols. Mm -hmm. Do you think that, well, first of all, do you think that this should be regulated? And second, if it should, how 
What are your thoughts on this? Um, yeah, so first of all, yes, it's technically it's it's possible to 3D print your own weapons. Um, yeah. There, I mean, there has been quite a lot of videos and controversy about it. Um, I think it is very hard to regulate. Um, mm. There is... Um, the, the thing with 3D printing is it puts the ability or the possibility to a lot of the more hands than manufacturing has been traditionally. Yes. So if, for example, if, if a technician that learns it in school or whatever, like a CNC technician, and he comes up with the idea to get a, a CNC controlled um, mach, uh, machining center at home, he also has the ability to pre- create weapons but it takes a lot of more knowledge and um, capital to do that. Um, With the 3D printer, you don't need that much knowledge and you don't need that much investment to do that. Um, So it's it's not, again, a generally new idea, um, but it it gives it a bigger um, um, access to a lot of more people. Um, If we could regulate it, yes, I think we should. I don't see a way to do it because mm-hmm. it's very hard. Um, we every 3D printer should have a code written. It's like some I don't know software something built inside that prevents it from printing the weapon. It, it would have to automatically identify something as a weapon and then prevent it from being printed. But the thing is, yeah, there's this thing like every everything operated wrongly can be a weapon or or yeah mm-hmm. right so where where is that where is this this line we draw in saying okay this is a weapon this is not a weapon that is yeah. very hard to draw there is if we look in in normal two-dimensional printing there is something very similar um but uh, with money like you cannot print money with your <laughs> home printer or physically it could it could print it um, but there is algorithms that somehow, maybe you know more about that than I do, but mm-hmm. somehow uh, detect this is the bill that you want to print. Um, mm. And there it's very easy because it's the bill is something regulated. There is probably some visual code uh, put in there where, we, where the algorithm can detect it. With yes. weapons, it's very hard. Like I, I don't know how we could do that. Like, we, there had to be a very, very sophisticated AI to figure out this could be used as a weapon and this shouldn't be used as a weapon. So it's, yeah, it's a very controversial topic. Um, yeah. Honestly, I don't have a solution for that. Um, yeah, it's, um, I mean, it falls under legislation that you're not allowed to, like, it, it, those are, Firearms, for example, when we talk about weapons, we're mostly talking about firearms here. Yes. So it is in some way, it is legislated that in most of the countries I know, you, you, there is legislation for owning and, and carrying firearms and, and weapons. So without any dis- definition on how they're manufactured. Um, mm-hmm. But like I said, it just opens up the possibility to a lot of more people Um but yeah, you have me there in a weird spot because I don't know a solution for that. Um, yeah. It's a very hard topic. Yeah, it's, 
it's a complicated topic to deal with. But maybe let's try to move to a more fun part. Let's suppose that I am a new person, like, for example, you had the experience going to the school, to the university to learn these important skills. But let's suppose that I have no education and I'm interested in developing, I don't know, let's say my own bottles or let's say start selling something at home. Let's say, how can I learn about it? Um, yeah, so it is actually quite easy to pick it up, I would say. Um, there is a lot of information, a lot of communities out there that can help you figuring out what to buy, what to do, what to uh, start, or where to start. Um, one thing that you always have to take into account is that as definition for 3D printing, you need a 3D model. So um, you have two options there. You can create your own 3D models or you can look in the internet for already existing 3D models. Mm. Um, there is big databases of people uploading their files and their geometries. Um, one of them is, for example, Thingiverse, um, where you can yeah, basically just look for, for things and people upload their geometries. Um, but I would say that is only half the fun of 3D printing. Um, the, the thing is that you can create your ideas, your, your concepts. So the first thing you should start is learning about CAD, um, so computer-aided design. Yes. Um, there is, if you're lucky and you're a student, then you can get a lot of licenses for lower money or, or less money or even for free. For everybody else who already graduated, there is um, yeah, two ways. You look for open source and freeware software, or you go and buy some of the software tools I mentioned earlier. Um, the open source ones, um, to be honest, they're good, but not that intuitive. So very hard to use. You have to learn more. Um, of course, the ones you pay for, they're much easier to use, much easier to start with. Um, and then there's also a lot of tutorials when and how like how to operate those those software to to create the the CAD file. Um, if you basically cover that, and I mean that can happen at the same time as you buy the printer um, and and start printing. Um, like I said, there's a lot of communities online and forums that you can um, um, look for advice and and um, basically each. 3D printer manufacturer or, or, or yeah brand has its own support um, uh, forums and, and uh, platforms where you can yeah learn about using your 3D printer at home. Um, there's also some nice books uh, already out there that that can explain you how to do it. Um, one, let's say, general idea like um, on a, a more systematic or general uh, approach, but there's a ton of information online available and just pick one printer and start running i would say that's very cool it sounds like as in programming that you can just pick up something from the internet and start learning from it yes. however if we would like to let's say that we would like to move forward and we would like to work professionally on it do you think that in order to get a job uh college degree will be necessary? Um, maybe in the future. Right now, the funny thing is I'm not aware that there is a college degree for additive manufacturing or 3D printing. 
Like it is part of some of the like of the curriculums of, of let's say mechanical engineering, maybe mechatronics or something like that. But there yeah. it's not a single program. Let's say you cannot mm-hmm. study 3D printing. Um, there is some additional like uh, qualification. Um, we have, for example, a program in Germany um, from the um, yeah um, Association of German Engineers. That is a association here in Germany where okay. you can do a several day long course and then you can call yourself an additive manufacturing engineer, for example. Um, that is available. I'm pretty sure that it's available in other areas in the world as well. Um, but um, it always like it depends on what you want to do. Um, of course, if you want to work in the area of designing and and um, for example, what I do looking for applications, a college degree helps. Like a university okay. degree helps, and engineering, mechanical engineering, so you understand the basics of manufacturing. Um, if you want to work and and operate machines, be a machine operator, um, there's also some qualification you need for that. Um, but of course, for that, you don't need a college degree to operate a 3D printer. Um, it's mm-hmm. just another piece of machinery than all the other manufacturing machines we already know and then have um, around the world. Now let's move to the final part that is about to do the predictions about the future of what you visualize, Philip. My first question is, do you think that in the next five years, we are going to be able to produce, let's say, large pieces like for the rockets that Elon Musk is sending or let's say Amazon to the space? Or is it something that it's going to take a little bit more of time? I I really like that question because there is already, like, there the future is already now. It, there is already parts in the SpaceX rocket that is 3D printed. One of wow. the main components of the engine is actually 3D printed and goes to space. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the major applications in 3D printing was the fuel injection nozzle for planes in plane engines. So um, the the of course there will be larger parts, I guess. There will be more applications. There's like those are single unique applications. I think in the next years, we will see more and more of them. Um, but what I think or what I I will look out is not so much more applications in the high-tech area, but also in the low-tech area. So with increased production speeds, with lower costs and more knowledge available, I think we will start seeing 3D printed parts more and more in our day-to-day ba- uh, life. Um, It started with consumer goods like uh, Adidas was 3D printing shoes. Um, There is some 3D printed glasses you can wear. And I think we will see more and more of that in the future to uh, mass customization so that we have products that are unique to each individual customer. Um, Like I said, they started doing that, but I think in the next years we will see more of that um, with the yeah, increased possibilities that we'll have in the future. That is pretty amazing to know that even SpaceX is using nowadays 3D printed parts. And my second question about the future is regarding housing. You mentioned at the beginning of the interview that there have been already some applications and some houses printed. Do you think that in the future 
in the near future, let's say, it will be it will become more of a common practice to 3D print houses and buildings like for people. Um, yeah, I think that is something that just started and then there has been some pilot projects of, of houses and um, companies um, doing this. Um, but I think that is something we also will see more and more often um, because it deals with one, one very specific area of, of construction sites and building houses um, you need skilled labor to do that like you need people who are able and know how to build a house um, and this is also again very controversy I would say um, with automation but with the 3d printing we could automate a lot of those processes um, of construction sites and building um, which on one hand it's nice because it makes it faster cheaper and, and so on but on the other hand we're talking about people's jobs um, that are uh, there at risk. But um, I'm pretty sure that we will have other jobs evolve out of this. Um, and I'm pretty sure that, yeah, we will see 3D printed, maybe not directly houses, but structures a lot more in the future. Mm -hmm. And then sooner or later houses as well. Thank you very much for all your thoughts, Philip. Hopefully more people can join maybe in your area, developing these skills and hey, I will say that 3D printing is more interesting than I ever imagined, and I never visualized that the SpaceX is doing these experiments. Any final thoughts that you would like to add, Philip? Yeah, I think, um, like I said, it's a fun thing to pick up, um, to do it at home, 3D printing. Um, it gives you a lot of possibilities to expand creat creativity and, and produce your own things at home. That's a lot of fun and i can encourage everybody to try and and, and um yeah give it a, a shot um and yeah again i'm very very thankful for you um inviting me today it was fun talking about 3d printing with you um and i hope i could explain um yeah most of the things correctly if i here and there made a mistake because of oversimplification i apologize um but yeah I'm, yeah looking forward to uh, maybe next time or other uh, times. I will definitely check out your podcast as well. <laughs> Thank you very much, Philip. And until the next time, bye-bye. Thank you. Goodbye.